so I guess we should just kick it right off and start this thing. This is the eleventh yeah. episode of the We Geeks podcast. I'm Nathaniel Dodson. He's Howard I Pinsky. Am Howard Pinsky. You can follow us on Facebook <laughs> or Twitter. Twitter, I'm at Tutvid Howard. I am at Iceflow Studios. And of course, you can follow the We Geeks podcast at WeGeeksPodcast.com. And also on Stitcher. Oh, we're on all the things. ITunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. And actually, hold your horses, Nathaniel. Hold your horses. We actually got a review. Last week, well, technically, it was yesterday, but we're recording this episode a little bit early because I'm out of town next week. Uh, we did ask yeah, people How- to, Howard if they're is enjoying in LA. the show. Howard is in L.A. right now. Right now in the future. When you're listening to this, I may be in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, or I guess last week, we asked you guys if you're enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes, subscribe to the We Geeks podcast. You can find a link on WeGeeksPodcast.com or just search it in iTunes and leave us a review. And we actually have two reviews. So the first one is from Jordan and he says, pretty good show. Just listen to the first two episodes of the We Geeks podcast. Pretty good and fun to listen to. Thank you, Jordan. And the next one is from Dom D'Amigo, the dovetailed. I don't know what that means. But Dom D'Amigo the Dovetailed? Yep. That's a name. Very informative informative and engaging. Tutfit and Iceful Studios have a wealth of knowledge, and it's both entertainment, entertaining and enlightening. After a couple of episodes, it's at the top of my favorites to wait for every week. Kudos, guys. Nice. Thank you. It's awesome. Now we got to wait for our first bad review slash fun oh, review. Oh, I'm sure that'll It was come. funny. I got a, uh, a tweet from somebody. I'll, I'll shout him out here if I can find it. MG Phenom on Twitter um, who said, uh, second installment of Weak Geeks and so much harshness for Fiverr. Oh, yeah. He's actually a good friend of mine. Um, <laughs> we've known each other since like 2007. And he, he does voiceovers on Fiverr. And he, I think he just produced his 500th voiceover. Uh-huh. And I think we mentioned this during that podcast. Certain things like voiceovers, it's not as risky as, because you can't really fake a voiceover. And you're not stealing stock voiceover like you would steal a stock right. logo and resell we it. Were, yeah, we were really warning our designers and our designer friends who are purchasing designs that many of that stuff could be trademarked, so just be very careful. But things like voiceovers, it's not as bad. Yeah, and I didn't remember. I guess it, was, it had to have been the second podcast episode that we really ripped Fiverr. Um, and I guess <laughs> I guess people got the point that we ripped them fairly well. But they, mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of deserve it. So, but in a way, yeah. Anyway, today's going to be a questionless show um, because we're just not really going out for the questions. We're going to do something a little bit different today, and not that this is going to be a normal thing, but it might turn into something where we do it once a month or something like that, uh, depending on how much everybody likes it. But we're going to do uh, sort of a heavily themed show, wouldn't you say? Uh, you know, with a very sh- kind of straight line, ten tips to becoming a better designer, some stuff that Howard and I have picked up over the years, some of our stories, some experiences that we've run into, um, and things like that. Um, And I think it'll be a really fun show. I think it'll be uh, informative. Hopefully, you guys will pick up some cool stuff from it. Hopefully, it'll be an inspiring experience. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think we have, I, I, I can probably speak for you, we've received 
I would say hundreds of emails over the last seven, eight years from people simply asking the question, how do I become a better designer? And it's so difficult to actually answer that question in an email because it's not a one word answer or it's not even like a two paragraph answer. It's really a very in-depth answer with so many aspects to it. And hopefully going forward, if someone does email us or sends us a tweet, how do I become a better designer? Listen to this podcast, right. and hopefully you'll pick up a few tips. Yeah, there's a lot of layers, so we'll just we'll just go back and forth with these. Like I'll I'll, I'll take. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> right, I'll take the first. You take the second, and so on and so forth. Let's do we, it. We do a lot of pre-production. If you guys can't tell, um, so the number one, uh, or we're just going to go through these sort of in a line that we feel like makes sense. Uh, so first, to be to become a better designer, become a more creative person. And I would say to become a more creative person, you need to make yourself a more interesting person. And to become a more interesting person, I would say you should do things like choose the people you hang out with a little bit more wisely. You know, uh, greatness tends to rub off. So if you hang out around a lot of great people, and this goes for physical relationships, people who are physically around you, or even just find a great forum of people online uh, or forums of people online who, who, who will challenge you, who will compete with you, who will give you honest criticism, things like that. Um, that stuff can be super valuable. Travel more. Get out and travel. Traveling, even if you're just taking a trip to L.A., you know, just a change of scenery. Um, there's sort of that sensory overload where you're in a totally new place. You're experiencing different things, certainly stuff that's different than home. And also read more books. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the most inspiring things you can do, and, and by inspiring, I mean placing ideas in your mind. Um, reading more can do a lot. Um, and also, lastly, it would be the, your perspective on life. Um, I was sort of half jokingly before told you, Howard, that you know if you're trying to become a designer and you're you know you're dressed in black and you're sitting in the corner of your bedroom cutting your wrists, um, it's probably not the best environment to become a great designer. Um, you know you sort of want to wake up and freshen up and get up and go out and you know alter your perspective on life, look at things differently, the more positively you're able to look at things, um, or the or the more energetic you can be about things, um, probably the more creative you're going to end up being, because creativity comes from those moments when you're relaxed. I mean, it was Albert Einstein who said, creativity is the residue of time wasted. So the more, yeah, and- the more you can just relax, probably the more creative you're going to be. Yeah, and adding to that comment about the cutting your wrists in the dark corner. It's kind of sounds like a joke, but actually way back, I would say 2000, I don't know, about eight years ago, I was in a super dark spot. This is before I discovered YouTube. So it must've been 2005, 2004. It was 10 years Uh, ago. 10 years ago, that's a long time ago. Grandpa. I was in an incredibly dark spot, just dropped out of school for personal reasons. Nothing was going right for me at the time. And because of all that, my creative juices were just not flowing. Until that point, I was had been using Photoshop for many years. I was actually teaching Photoshop at the college I just dropped out of and in high school before that. And when everything just started to hit the fan, so to speak, just there was just nothing, no creative juices at all. So I decided to make a bit of a change. I discovered YouTube. I started uploading Photoshop tutorials on YouTube. And once I started to make that change, so much of my design, you know, the perspective of my life obviously changed, but I was able to become a better designer. I was able to think a little bit differently. My mind was a little bit clearer than it was before. And it's so important to just 
make a change if something's not really going your way. If something seems off, try try your best to make a change. And I would add to th- this list of things to become more creative, just go outside once in a while. I know it's difficult <laughs> for people like myself and people like you and I guess just geeks and nerds in general. We te- tend not to go outside. I find myself just kind of sitting in here for days without really leaving the house unless I have to go grocery shopping or something. But I do find when I do walk outside and I breathe the fresh air, I start to think a little bit better. My mind starts moving and I'm start I'm coming up with ideas. Right. So it's super important just to walk outside once in a while. Yeah, I mean, even if it's just, you know, jumping in the car and going for a car ride or jumping on the bike and going for a quick little pedal around town or whatever. I mean, stuff like that. There's there are plenty of times where I'm in a funk where I'm, you know what, I'm just gonna go work out, you know, or I'm gonna get outside and I'm gonna do something. Just change things up, freshen things up, get my heart rate, you know, boosted and and going. Um, and, and speaking I, of freshing things up, this may also be very difficult for people like us. Um, shower. Yeah. <laughs> I've come up with so many ideas in the shower. Uh, sometimes I just want to go jump in the shower just to start thinking of ideas because I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's some sort of scientific reason. There probably isn't. But I, I just come, I'm able to think in there. Well, I don't prob- know. it probably Try goes it back to the idea of being able to be relaxed. You know, I mean, no, think maybe. of all think of all those big, huge creative agencies that sort of almost mandate you to play an hour of video games at the office mm-hmm. or two hour, you know, all kinds of things like that, foosball hour, whatever. Um, and, you know, you might say, oh, well, great, I can sit around and play video games all day and I'll be creative. Eh, remember, in the big offices, you have a community of people who are all pushing one another. And, you know, getting together and having this big social gaming hour allows people to bounce ideas off of one another. Um, Think about how much easier it is to be funny when you're in a group of people as opposed to when you're just sitting around alone trying to think of jokes. So it makes a big difference to just be around other people. So It does. And and make sure you're not playing games all the time. And that kind of brings us to our second point is... You have to really learn to manage your time, make sure you're setting goals, writing lists, being consistent, and most importantly, make sure you actually do your work. There's been so many times where I've found myself slacking off, I'm supposed to get something done, whether it's for a client or myself, and I tell myself, you know what, I'll just clear my mind, I'll play a few video games for a little bit, or I'll go do something else, and then four hours later, I I find myself thinking, "Uh uh-oh. This thing is due in like five hours or it's due tomorrow I could have had and that I haven't done. even started it. Yeah. yeah. So it's so important. And kind of going back to our first point about walking outside once once in a while is never forget to take breaks to clear your mind. And that should be part of managing your time. Don't take like five hour breaks, but I found that taking 15 minute breaks helps tremendously. And I think I touched on this in one of our earlier podcasts. This has happened to me so many times where I'm sitting there trying to figure out a tutorial to work on. And I have an idea, let's say I'm creating the Harry Potter text effect for Photoshop. And I'm just, I plop myself in front of the computer. I start working on it for hours and hours and hours. And as you're working on something, your mind starts to become accustomed to it it starts to kind of subconsciously say, this is looking great because I don't really have anything else to compare it to. But what I found is I stand up after, you know, an hour or so of work, I go for a walk, I go even get a drink downstairs in the kitchen or something like that. I come back, I sit down and look at it with a completely fresh and clear mind. And I think to myself, this isn't working. 
And this has happened so many times where I've just spent hours working on something. I walk away for 10 minutes, come back, and it's just not what my mind thought it was. Right. So I, I completely change the perspective of that design or maybe even tweak a few little things here and there that mm -hmm. I was able to catch when I sat back down and it makes a huge difference. So make sure you're not sitting in front of the computer all day, every day, definitely take breaks and kind of clear your mind a little bit. Yeah. And when it comes to managing time, there's a great little app that I use called focus booster. Uh, it's mm. essentially a timer that you can, you can set. I, I set it for 25 minutes with a five-minute break. And what it does is it runs for the 25 minutes. It's visualized across your screen. It starts out at green, and then it fades to yellow and fades to red as it hits you know, the end of your time. And then it like has a little ringer that goes off, and immediately the five-minute break starts. And I found that the reason I do 25 minutes and a five-minute break is because two of those units of work equals one hour of my work day. So you, I work for 50 minutes and I have 10 minutes of break in there. And I found that doing this 25 to 5 ratio works really well for me. I can get a lot done or sometimes I'll use it just to get me into a bigger project. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of projects you work on that take more than 25 minutes. But I found it takes me 15 to 20 minutes to get on a roll you know, and this focus booster really helps me get on a roll. So I'll get on a roll and then I can work for a few hours and then I'll take a little bit more of, yeah, like a 15 or 20 minute break. Like you said, just allow the mind to clear, um, you know, again, relax the mind, allow creativity to come back to you. Um, you start thinking at a problem so long that you can no longer think outside of the box and you don't really want to get to that point. You always, as a creative, you know, quote unquote creative person, want to be able to think outside of the box always. You want to come up with creative solutions. And what's a creative solution? Something that somebody hasn't thought about before or, you know, something certainly that you haven't thought about before. Um, so yeah, I mean, learning how to manage your time, I think is huge because if if you don't learn how to manage your time, I think it also has the side effect of beginning to change your perspective on things because you start to get very frustrated with yourself and some people even start to get depressed because you feel like all your days are just melding together and you're not getting anything done and nothing's really happening for you and now I'm 28 years old and I still have done nothing with myself. Well, you know, if you just start with managing your time, take it one day at a time, take it one hour at a time, break it down, break it down into bite-sized chunks and attack the day, you know, an hour at a time and you'd be surprised at how much you get done even if it just starts out with dumb make work stuff like you know i got to create that facebook page for this i got to answer those emails i got to call my mom i got to do this i got to do that you know just get it done you know i i not not to interrupt you i'll, I'll let you to point in just a second um i i rented a house from somebody a few years ago and i remember i hope this girl does not listen to my podcast but i remember one day she left her like day plan or her calendar i'm sorry she had one of these big calendars and she she would come over rather frequently um and she left the calendar out in the living room and i just picked it up and i'm like you know let's let's see what kind of stuff she's doing and the days were full of you know watch keeping up with the kardashians and then go to my doctor's appointment and feed the cat like that was the the to-do list for the day. And, I, the, and the reason I remember that is because under this particular to-do list, there was a little note, got everything done, smiley face, felt so productive, yay, <laughs> right? So if it, that's nothing, you know, you've done nothing, you know, we need to, we need to be a productive part of society if we expect to not only better ourselves, but better those around us. Um, so, you know, learning how to manage your time and, and, and sort of piece together these very productive days for yourself, um, I think is the first step to really getting on a roll to doing that. Yeah. And to very quickly add to that, before you move on to the next point, going back to 
standing up and taking breaks and things like that. It's just also, forget designing, it's just healthier to stand up once in a while. You know, the Apple Watch is coming out and it's gonna remind you every 20 minutes or so just to stand up and walk around for a few minutes. Yep. And there's a ton of apps that also do that. But when you're healthier, your mind is able to think better. So if you just stand up and walk around a little bit, maybe go for a little bit of a run, lift some weights, whatever you might do, your mind is going to clear itself like we've mentioned before. You're going to be healthier and you'll be able to yep. think more clearly when you sit down to start designing again. Yeah, I agree. The better you feel kind of generally speaking, the clearer you're going to think because yep. you know how creative do you feel when you're laying up in bed sick? Probably not very creative. Not at uh, all. So the third point or the third tip to becoming a better designer is pick what you want to do. Limit yourself and focus in on it. Don't try to be everything to everyone. I mean, think about a good college. I think part of the part of the reason that college education has dwindled down to what it's dwindled down to is uh, college used to be a limitation. You would go to college because colleges had picked out the good information to teach you. They weren't just opening you up to this world of possibilities. It was a world of possibilities to be opened up to this good information. Nowadays, it seems like a lot of people want to go for this broad myriad of experiences instead of, you know, saying, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to settle in on it and I'm going to just, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well and I'm going to learn everything I can about it. And that's not to say you shouldn't spend some time figuring out what you want to do. You absolutely should. And, and let's say you spend five years doing it. Don't be afraid to switch it up and totally change. I mean, that's the beauty of being a freelancer or an entrepreneur or a startup owner or anything like that is you can work on a project incredibly passionately for five, maybe not even five years, and then do something totally different, you know, when you finish that project. So, uh, but, but the point is when you're working on that project, you are focused 110% on that project. You know, if, if, if Howard and I were trying to run our website, work a full-time job, uh, start a daycare, and uh, have a counseling business on the side, you know, we wouldn't be good at any of the four things because you know, there's just not enough time. There's not, there's not enough, there might be enough time to physically do that stuff, but there's not enough time to get great at doing any one of those things. Yeah, totally. And going back to what you were saying earlier about don't be afraid to change things up. Personally speaking, back when I was in college, actually, let's go back even further than that. When I was in high school, and even before that, early days of high school, I discovered Photoshop. Back when I was in grade nine, I think, just entering high school, I was in a computer programming class and they had Photoshop on there. I whipped it open and started dabbling with it and I loved it. And I was set that that was gonna be my future. I mean, ironically, it turned out it was, but <laughs> the point is going back, and then I kind of discovered 3D Studio Max, and then that was gonna become my future. I was gonna become a 3D animator, a 3D modeler, and I was going to college for 3D animation. I wasn't going for 2D design or Photoshop or anything like that. I was there for 3D animation, and it was great. I loved it. I thought that was gonna be my career, but included in that course was also design work. So, and I kind of, during that time in that, I guess, design course that was part of the 3D animation course, right. the, the, the professor that I have was absolutely terrible. So I was actually spending most of my time not designing, but teaching a lot of the students. I was kind of going out of my comfort zone, helping the students that were actually my peers get this Photoshop stuff done. And that kind of pushed me over the edge a little bit to kind of push back the 3D animation stuff and go more towards the Photoshop stuff yeah. again. So I kind of juggled a few things trying to figure out what I exactly wanted to do, but I took the time to explore 
a bunch of different options and I figured out, you know what, maybe it's not necessarily becoming a designer, but actually becoming a teacher of design. Right. And and once you decided to do that, you weren't going back and hanging on, you know, 3DS Studio Max or whatever, right. um, or Maya necessarily. Not that there's not an interest there. There can always be the interest, but you're not the expert in that stuff that you are in things like Photoshop and teaching and, and turning into with, you know, some of the video editing stuff and, and all of that that gets involved with doing this other stuff. So I think yeah, that's a what's, huge thing is just limiting yeah, yourself. You know what's it's difficult, really, but... Yeah. yeah, and what's really interesting about that whole situation is even though I completely pushed back, pushed aside the th whole 3D Studio Max stuff and the 3D animation stuff, now that Photoshop has 3D tools built into it and they're fantastic, I've, I've been able to use a lot of my knowledge of 3D modeling and applied that to my Photoshop work, so I've been able to teach that better. So if you do explore multiple subjects, don't necessarily block all of that out. Right. Kind of keep that in the back of your mind because you never know when that'll come back and help you out in the future. Yeah. The only kind of model Howard is is a 3D model. Oh, <laughs> there you go. So moving on to our fourth point is improve your de design aesthetic, finding relevant and high-end inspiration. And I do this as much as I possibly can. You should never kind of close yourself in to only what you design or what you think is good design. There are so many websites out there like thedesigninspiration.com and Dribble, and it's Behan Dribble with two B, Behance, Behance. Behance, yes, that's a huge one, and actually Adobe owns that now, I mm -hmm. think. Yep. Um, I, I don't know if I should say this, but there's been so many times over the last few years that people have emailed me their work, and they want me to be honest, and they say, Howard, I look up to you, I love your design, can you take a look at my portfolio or take a look at these attached images and tell me what you think? I hope you're impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I want to throw up sometimes. Now, that's not all the time. But you've got Pepto. I do. I have a bottle waiting on my desk just ready for these moments. Um, so many people kind of, they overdo their designs. They overthink their designs. They start adding glows and drop shadows and bevels and embosses just because they can. And just because they've seen other people do these sorts of things when in reality, it just doesn't look very good. So what I would say is go to these websites, the design, designinspiration.com, Dribble, Behance, see what people are doing. See, a lot of these websites you can sort by, you know, the top designs or mm. the top most rated or popular, whatever it might be. And, and even colors, right? If you're working on a project that has specific colors you're looking for, where you're yep. looking for, how in the world do I use yellow in design? You know, yellow can be a pretty tricky color. Mm, and But when it's done right, wow, it can look super cool. I mean, there's some yeah. insane stuff people have done with, you know, the color yellow and incorporating it into web. I mean, think about how many websites you see that are yellow. Not many. Not many. Wegeekspodcast.com <laughs> is yellow. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Actually, it's not that great, no, but, but, it's, but it's yellow. But to your point about, uh, you know, stuff like Behance and, and, and Dribble, just having your eyes on that higher quality stuff. And from a photographic standpoint, you know, sites like uh, even Pinterest for, for graphic mm. design as well as photography. There's a lot of, you know, it's not all housewife, you know, kind of here's how to dry spices on a spice rack in your kitchen, you know, kind of stuff. There's huge, 
huge. I just did an article on logo design inspiration over on tutvid.com, and there's a huge number of great boards full of like 900 and 1,000 logos, high-quality stuff, uh, and sites like Dribble, Logo Pond is a great logo design inspiration mm-hmm. site. Uh, for photographs, stuff like 500px.com or 1x.com, you just look at it and you, you – if nothing else, you start to train your mind to be able to identify when something looks good and when it doesn't. I remember when I was much younger, um, I, I tried to join this website. I think it was called designcontest.net at the time. And I think like designcontest.com has bought them out or something because I know design, designcontest.com is still around. Um, but you basically – you had to sign up and you had to be approved by the administrators of the forum to be able to compete in the, the paid jobs that were there to try to you know, you would design a logo and hope that the client picked you and boom, you would win the $300, $500, you know, $800, whatever it was. Um, and I remember submitting my portfolio and there was two guys that did the bulk of the, the reviews and they just ripped me to shreds. I put this portfolio together. I was sure – I was like, man, I'm actually getting good at this stuff. Well – I, I have recently gone back and pulled up some of those old logos, and they are horrific. I mean, ab- and not just with a capital H. That's with all caps. I mean, it is absolutely abysmal. And I remember some of the feedback I got from them, um, you know, as far as, you know, they just don't look professional. Um, you put a gloss on everything. Everything has this drop shadow, stuff like that. Stuff that, quite frankly, would have been pretty easy for me to see if I'd spent more time looking at high-quality work because you're not born knowing what a great-looking logo is. You're not born knowing what an amazing brochure looks like. But if you look at stuff out there that's incredible, you can a lot of times freelance and you know sort of say, all right, I love the way – the, the the this icon looks so I'm gonna make my icon as close to that as I can and in the process of doing that usually not only do you end up with something totally different but you end up with something that's actually good looking um, so being able to look at other people's work and improve your design aesthetic what you think looks good is insanely important yeah and don't be terrified of con- constructive criticism or even very harsh criticism yeah. like you were talking about before when you submitted your portfolio mm. they just ripped you to shreds and yeah. at the time you probably read that email that they, they sent you oh, or the sucks. forum post yeah. whatever yeah you wanted to just give up but you didn't you you took their constructive criticism and you started to apply it to your future designs and I can definitely say that that has helped me tremendously in the past when I first started to upload Photoshop tutorials to YouTube even though I was one of the only ones that was was doing it at the time, I thought they were the greatest thing that's mm-hmm. ever invented since sliced bread. But then people started commenting on my videos, and some of them were positive, but I had a lot of negative feedback. You know, the audio wasn't that good, or I was talking too fast, or talking too slow, or I don't know what I'm doing, I should kill myself, this, that, and the other thing. But I started to obviously put aside the you should kill yourself comments and start to look at the con- yeah I started to look at the constructive criticism mm. and I started to use those things to build up my presentation skills and build up how I edit my videos the and take into consideration the equipment I should probably mm. use to improve my audio and my video and eight years later I think that's come a long way and it's because I really took the time to listen to that criticism and. You can apply that to pretty much everything, including design. And we live right now in a very minimalistic, simplistic world. So when you're first starting to design, there's really no reason to 
use all the features in Photoshop just because Photoshop offers all these layer styles like bevels and bosses. Yeah, please, and no bevel drop and shadows right. and outer glows and inner glows. Don't add them all to a single layer. Mm. It's just going to overdo it. Oh, Start yeah. with no layer styles. See how it looks, and then maybe add a very slight drop shell, very slight. Maybe don't even do that, but just very slight, very minimalistic, and see how that looks. But I, I see way too many people add glows to everything yeah. because they think they can. Right. There's a there's a very sublime and underrated beauty in in shapes. If you can learn how to draw shapes, I mean, think about Coca-Cola's logo. Think about Apple's logo, right? I can see, Howard, you've got the Apple logo on your hat, right? It's flat. It doesn't have an outer glow. It doesn't have a bevel and emboss. It doesn't even have a stroke. It's just the Apple logo. So if you if you create a strong logo and you start thinking about the iconic logos, the logos that quote-unquote look professional, they're not loaded up with these outer glows and bevel and bosses, but that's all part of you know improving your design aesthetic as you start to recognize things like that. And even if when you're designing a logo, you can't necessarily tell why it would look bad, you should at least know in your mind this looks bad. Um, so really, really important to do. But just a quick note too on on taking constructive criticism or criticism of any kind on especially online try to just focus on the words people are saying and not you know sort of putting your uh, spin on how they're saying them uh, it really it really really does make it a lot easier to just take the constructive criticism because it's just like it's just a machine outputting information and you can pick up information and learn from it it really does help so moving on from that and this is something that I like to do, and this is something you'll hear a lot of people talk about. Fifthly, keep an idea book or a spark file. Um, I don't really necessarily keep an idea book. I mean, I do have note cards that I'll keep around that make it you know easy for me to write stuff down. But the one thing I do always have with me is my phone. So I've created this thing called a spark file, and I don't think I made that name up. I'm pretty sure this is what it's referred to, but I've been doing it for a while now, and I don't remember where I learned it from. Uh, but basically, a spark file is a digital file that you'll create on your computer or online or somewhere that essentially it's just an area for you to drop ideas. Let's say I'm, I'm walking down the street and I think, you know what, it'd be a great idea if on Tutvid I offered uh, not only the regular video but a video in 3D or in black and white or some, some ridiculous idea. I don't know. Anything like that. Or I want to start offering a subscription side of Tutvid or something. I don't for the record but let's just say that was an idea that I had. Um, I would take my phone out and, and what I like to do is create a Google Doc um, so I can get to it on my, my laptop, my desktop, an iPad, iPhone, any, anything I am, anything that I have, excuse me, anywhere I am, I can get to a Google doc. So I'll create a Google doc called my spark file. And I'd have a few pages of just, it's just one line. I just write one line. This is the idea that I was thinking of. Um, and it allows you to sort of build a database of these inspiring moments you have sort of those moments in the shower, if you will. Now, speaking of moments in the shower, I mean, you talked about showers a minute ago, Howard, I do know of a couple people who literally have a waterproof notebook they take into the shower with them in case they get an idea. I have pretty bad short-term memory, but my short-term memory is not that bad <laughs> that I would take the notebook into the shower with me. But I use this Spark file, and it is amazing. It's incredible. I love it so much. Um, and it's just one of those things that if you're feeling kind of uninspired, if you will, you have something you can go to and just look at all these amazing ideas and just different thoughts you've had, even if it's just a thought, you know, why does a butterfly start out as a caterpillar or not a caterpillar as a butterfly, right? Just something as dumb as that, just writing something like that down 
I don't know. I don't know what it is. You'll just look through and you'll just chuckle and you'll be like, oh yeah, that was when I was waiting in line at McDonald's that one time when that, that guy came over to me and asked me if I was, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like dumb, random stuff. Um, but more importantly, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of sort of inspiring moments that end up being baked into this spark file um, and stuff that you can work from later. Yeah, it's so important. I don't do the Google Doc thing or the Spark file, whatever you call it. Um, I do have my notes app on my iPhone, which I just throw random thoughts in there or th random ideas, and that kind of syncs with all my computers mm -hmm. and stuff. But it's so important because there are so many times that I'm not on my computer, not able to execute an idea, and I, I think to myself, you know what? That's a great idea. I'll do that when I get home. And then I get home, I completely forgot. And even if I sit there for half an hour and think, what was that idea? I had a great idea, but I can't remember it, and it's gone. And it never comes back to me. Maybe it'll come back a few weeks later. But it's so important to write these things down as you have them. And back to the idea of an idea book, um, it could be as simple as something like Pinterest. If you're on one of these websites like Dribbble or thedesigninspiration.com, pin things. If yeah. you have, if you see something that really looks good, like a really simplistic design that maybe is blue, purple, and yellow, for example, and you want to start exploring that sort of design, put it on a board on, on Pinterest. Or if you see a really cool illustration, put that on a board. So all these things you can look back later on and you will find yourself in situations where you think there was this really cool design, but I don't know where I found it. Yeah. But if you just pin these things, and honestly, there are plugins you can put on your mm -hmm. browser. It's literally one click and you've pinned something and you can yeah. always look back on it later. So it's super important. Yeah. So you just build like this visual inspiration mood board. And remember with something like Pinterest, you can even add a little note to it as you mm -hmm. pin. And the iPhone app is amazingly easy to use. Um, so there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot you can do um, as far as that's concerned. Uh, but yeah, it's just a good idea to keep an idea book or a spark file. Um, I generally find it helps, um, and it just is sort of like an anchor you can always go back to for stuff and ideas and energy. Yeah. So moving on to number six is invest in yourself, whether it be training, tutorials, or just time spent practicing. And this is, it, it should seem like a no-brainer, but there are so many people who don't really put the time or even money into their learning and it puts them back so it could potentially put you back many years and it's not just you know college or high school and those are great but when you're going to college and we're going to high school you're taught very specific things and you're not really taught everything you should be taught so what i found that a lot of people are doing and what i tried to do back in the day i sound old is take additional courses, whether they be online courses or whether they be in-person courses. If you're learning design or actually if you're learning pretty much anything, hop into YouTube, search something, you might be able to find it. I mean, it's between myself and you, we probably have almost a thousand Photoshop tutorials on YouTube that are completely free. Now, kind of arguing to that, YouTube isn't the greatest source for education because there are so many people out there who think they can teach, but they really can't. If you just search Photoshop and ignore my stuff or ignore your stuff or... Or just, ignore, just focus on our early stuff. Yeah, go, go look at our very <laughs> early stuff. We sound like 12-year-olds trying to teach Photoshop. Hi, this is Howard Binsky. I'm going to teach you Photoshop. Um, and I was terrible at the time. And that's not something you really want to learn from. So 
with that being said, there are services like lynda.com or Kelby One, mm-hmm. where you will pay a little bit, you'll pay about $20 a month, but you will get professional learning from people who are in the industry, who've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, and you know, a website like lynda.com, you can learn Photoshop and Illustrator and After Effects, Microsoft Excel, pretty much anything you want to learn, yeah. you can learn it there. And don't just limit yourself to the subject that you are learning. If you're be, trying to become a designer or a 3D animator, don't just take courses on 3D animation or Photoshop. Take courses on life drawing. Go find in your local community or even at a community college, find a life drawing course and draw these people. It may be weird that they're standing there in front of you naked. But oh, it's not maybe. It's weird. It is weird, especially when they're 77, <laughs> seven years old. Um, and, and you have to get every little wrinkle. <laughs> but when, you're, when you sit back into your computer several weeks later, several months later, and you're modeling a character, even if it's like a four-year-old character, you're going to remember the way that person moved or the way the arm moved when it was over that person's head. You're going to remember all these things and it's going to help you tremendously. Yeah. So there's a lot of cross learning that you can do from traditional to digital that will help tremendously. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I vividly remember early on when I, whatever, I was 14, 15 years old playing around in Photoshop, just learning like the idea of graphic design and the idea of beginning with a totally blank canvas in Photoshop and building something. Um, and one of the first things that I made was a rendition and it was from a tutorial of Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon album cover, mm. the light going through the prism and the rainbow coming out. Um, and I remember as I was you know, creating this prism shape and adding the inner glow or whatever it was to make the edges of the glass, um, uh, it, it just sort of struck me and, and you know you're, you're sort of angling the light and the prism and there's a shadow and I started thinking about it was the first time in my life I think that I'd ever thought about the ramifications of putting an object in front of a light that being you get a shadow you get a highlight and then years later when I picked up the camera and really started getting into photography it was sort of like this information was already baked into me like, hey, if I position this person this way, the sun's going to hit them that way and the shadow's going to be cast over here. And that's what I want. I want it to be darker over there and brighter over there. And it sounds really dumb. I mean, it sounds really elementary. But I can't tell you how many times I've been to photography schools before where I've heard speakers talking and they don't grasp this concept of, of working with your ha- highlights and your shadows. They, they understand that there are highlights and shadows. They understand that you have a key light and that you can use a black flag to make a shadow deeper and all of that kind of thing. But they don't really understand sort of the whys and hows of what they're doing. They, they have a, a sort of a technical checklist in their mind and they're going through that and then boom, out comes a beautiful quote-unquote creative image. Well, that's about as far from creative as you can get. But also going back to you talking about stuff like Kelby1 and lynda.com, remember, if you're going to college, first of all, if you're going to college, don't be content with passing your courses. Really strive to get an education. That's why you're going to college. You're not going there to pass your courses. That uh, Passing your courses is not a means unto itself, right? You don't pass your courses for the sake of passing the courses. You should be trying to pass the courses because it's proving or showing that you're getting a real and a good education. This is why you know paying somebody else to do your tests is absolutely moronic because you're still paying for your college. You're just getting nothing from it. 
So really strive for an education and tied up in that would be, you know, spending two or three hundred dollars a year on something like Linda. You're already spending 18 to 30 grand a year on your college education. What's another two or three hundred dollars? Seriously, what's another two or three hundred dollars? It's nothing. It's a drop in the pan. A drop in the bucket, excuse me. Um, so definitely stuff like that. You know, invest the time, which is very important. Invest the money, which is also important. But I think most important is invest the effort. You know, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to go out with the girlfriends or the guys, you know, we're going to go to Starbucks, or we're going to go to that sporting event or whatever. Spend three hours, you know, working on something. You know, what if you spend, you know, an additional 15 hours a month working on learning how to code jQuery? In a couple months, you're going to actually have a decent working knowledge of that. What if, you know, like you, Howard, what if you spend, you know, a couple months learning how to model and texturize 3D objects uh, or, or to model 3D objects and then texturize them? What if you spend two months doing that? Well, at the end of two months, lo and behold, at, at, completely outside of your college classes or your work uh, load at that agency you work for, outside of that, you're going to have developed a pretty decent working knowledge of that. And I think that could be said with virtually any application Adobe has to offer, whether or not it's Photoshop or Lightroom, it could be Adobe After Effects, it could be Adobe Audition for crying out loud. If you spend two months or you spend 30 to 40 hours working on something, I mean the average Linda course is what? eight to 12 hours at uh -huh. the at the very long end of things. So you could get through two Linda courses in theory on any one of these applications, which that in and of itself is gonna give you a very deep working knowledge of the application. And then you throw in another 10 to 15 hours of you just working on stuff inside the application, you're gonna feel like you're an expert uh, in, in the course of you know a month or two. Um, so it's pretty remarkable what just being willing to invest the time uh, will do for you. Um, and yeah, and very quick story to kind of add to this in investing the time and what it might pay off down the down the road. Several years ago, when I relaunched my IceflowStudios.com website, I think it was in 2012, mm -hmm. I made it my goal to learn HTML and CSS very well, so I can eventually completely code or completely customize my website the way I want it to be customized. And over the last few years, I've been pretty much doing it every single day, and it's. I've learned a ton of stuff. And what I do now for my website is I start with a theme that has the architecture that I really want, the, you know, like visual encoder or visual composers and things like that to help me add certain elements here and there. But, and you would think, you know, why do you need CSS or HTML if you're just using themes? But I, I have such a vision for my website that I want it in a certain way and a lot of these themes, you're never going to find one theme that will give you exactly what you want. But back to the story is two days ago, I think, I updated the theme of my website and I figured, you know, it'll just add a few things or it'll fix a few bugs or things like that. Oh but yeah, because that's what it always does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever designed this theme, and it's a beautiful theme, it's great, it has a lot of different options, but for some reason, they decided to change a lot of the divs and classes, like the actual names. So all of this customization I did to the custom CSS file, all of a sudden was gone. Ugh. And things were all over the place and my fixed position uh, header at the top, that wasn't moving, it was now relative. And it was just, it was an absolute mess. So the point is, if I wouldn't have spent the time, some of my free time to learn HTML and CSS, I would have been sitting there staring at this thing, having no idea what to do. And I 
probably would have had to scrap the whole website because it was in an absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't test it on like a staging server, but that's my problem. Um, but because I had all this knowledge, I was able to you know, assess the situation, figure out what was changed, what I have to fix, and within an hour or so, everything was fixed, and there was a lot that was broken. So yes, definitely spend the time, even if it's not directly related to your field that you're studying, it, learning additional things like coding or whatever it might be, knitting, I don't know, it may pay, it'll definitely pay off in the future. Yeah, you just don't know when you're gonna uh, need it. So that leads us on to point number seven, which is step out of your comfort zone, which I think is the epitome of being a creative person, by the mm -hmm. way. Uh, it, true creativity is all about being outside of your comfort zone. There was a, a quote that I used to have on my photography website um, that said, and I'm paraphrasing, but in order to be outstanding, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is sort of get outside of your comfort zone. Don't don't stay in that box. Um, and, and certainly, and this, I especially want to direct this toward the kids coming out of college because college sort of sets you with a, a number of skill sets and sort of positions you in a certain place where you feel comfortable, which isn't bad. What's bad is when you're not willing to step outside of that comfort zone and explore everything else. You know, what happens when you get outside of those walls and look at the outside of them? There's a whole... There's a there's an entirely second uh, world of creativity that you're completely missing out on, which is eons larger than any box that uh, a school would place you in. And again, not that it's bad that a school places you within a box. So we're not talking about you know trying to focus on 18 different things. That's not the box I'm talking about. Still focus on one thing. Let's say it's graphic design, but get outside of that that comfort zone where you know everything has to have a quarter inch margin and everything needs to be on you know a thirds grid and everything needs to use complementary colors and nothing can have you know uh, a gradation um, you know get outside of all of that junk know the rules so you know when to break them that kind of idea um, and also create your own challenges and crush them you know, don't just sit there and say, well, this is all I know how to do or no clients are hiring me. So what? Create, make make a fake company. I used to do this thing where I would make, I would make up entire fake companies. I would decide what the company did, what the company's brand was. And this is when I was like 16 or 17 years old. I was not a good designer by any stretch of the imagination. This was just my approach and nobody told me this. I would create the brand of the company, who their customer was, so I knew who I was making a logo and like set of letterhead for, I think is what I would, that was kind of my go-to, was a logo and a, a set of letterhead or something. So I would do that, and I, I would challenge myself more and more and more. I would start with simpler logos and go to more complex. Then I, I remember using Flash and learning how to animate logos. Oof, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know... I don't know. It's just so, so important. It, it's so valuable to step outside your comfort zone. And just a quick story. I was at, and it's illegal what I did, but, and the statute of limitations is not up. So hopefully I'm not implicating oh myself here, but I, a, a few years ago I was photographing a girl and her father was the neurological assistant or liaison to Lyndon B. Johnson, president of the United States, really interesting guy. And we were wrapping up our shoot. I was kind of telling him I was pretty straight laced and you know, I didn't really go out and get in trouble very much. And he told me, he's like, the, the next time you have the opportunity to do something right or do something wrong, do me a favor and just do the thing that's wrong you'll find that it infuses a little bit of adventure into your life. Um, which, and I, and I, my answer to him was, as long as there's nothing morally wrong, like uh, should I kill this person or not, 
I'll go ahead and do it. I'm not going to take it to the point where I'm going to, you know, go rape or murder or something, you know, spit in my mother's face just because it's going to be adventurous when she slaps me across the face, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. Um, but anyway, later that night, there was this, this, uh, basically it was a bomb scare in my neighborhood, which is crazy. It never happens. Um, so at three o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at all the police and just that, I mean, there had to have been a hundred firefighters outside of my house. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go figure out what's going on. I see there's a police do not cross line, but I'm going to sneak into it. I'm going to see what I can get. Um, so I snuck out of my house. I drove through about three police checkpoints, convinced them to let me, you know, as close as I could get. And then took my camera, threw it on a tripod, grabbed a 200 millimeter lens, threw it on there and set off into the darkness. I had to distract a couple of police officers by throwing a rock across the parking lot. They turned around. I was able to slip in behind them into the police zone. And I got within about 70 yards of this, you know, bomb. And there was a guy in the full bomb regalia, you know, all the thick green padding and the big bubble helmet kneeling down over this device. And all of a sudden he gets up and he runs away and I hear him shouting like, just send the machine back. If it blows up, it's a $250,000 machine, but at least no one gets killed. And I'm laying there thinking, all right, well, the police aren't close. I'm the only one that's close, so I should probably get out of here and maybe find somewhere that I should be. So I got up, you know, I, I ran about 20 yards up onto this hill. Well, not ran, I was crawling because I still didn't want them to see me. And the little Wally robot, you know, comes out around the corner and it's like poking and prod and it's got like pincher arms and the big wheels and everything and shining lights at the package. And I, meanwhile, had gotten up onto this hill and dropped into like a little gully. Um, and long story short, it, 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 you know, I got some cool pictures out of it, um, of course, uh, but it was something that I don't, I can't say it's something that I wouldn't have done, but I do know that just that little bit of, you can call it advice or just that idea that was thrown out at me just earlier that day about, you know, when you have the opportunity to do something right, what you think is right versus what you think is wrong, just try taking that road that you think makes no sense, right? And just see what happens. Now, in my case, it could have landed me in prison, granted, but it didn't. And it was really cool. I mean, it was a cool, it's a cool story that I'll always have. Uh, it was just an, an amazing experience. Um, the police caught me on the way out, but I managed to talk my way out of it and they didn't confiscate my card or anything. So, it, you know, all's well that ends well, of course. But the point is, it was, it was something that I never would have done before. It, I, it was way out of my comfort zone. Um, and it was highly risky. Uh, or, or, or it was a high risk situation and it was highly unnecessary. You know, that was the other thing. It was like, what's the point of doing it? Well, the point of doing it was just the fact that I was doing something that was different. I was breaking the routine. I was going outside of what I normally would do of what, what I normally think would make sense. Um, and doing stuff like that, I don't know, it just, it, it does something to you, it changes you, it, it goes back to that first point that we talked about, about being more creative, becoming a more interesting person, a person who's changing their perspective of things, um, and, and it was, it's just, I don't know, it's just an example that I know of not just design stepping out of my comfort zone, but in a very real life application, stepping out of my comfort zone. Mm, and don't try this at home, kids. We're going to have several hundred hundred listeners start doing like these illegal things. There'll be a yeah. car chase in Los Angeles, and they'll start to tell the cops, well, Nathaniel told me to step out of my comfort zone. Geeks but, podcast. Hey, all press is good press. Well, yes. <laughs> if, if, you do, if you do land on national hey, television, make out. sure to... Yeah, give us a <laughs> shout out. But to add to this, it, I can't even top what you just said, but... 
if you are stepping out of your comfort zone and trying something and, and obviously not chasing a chasing a bomb or something like that, but if you're trying to do something different, like learning CSS or HTML, don't give up if it seems too hard. Right. Just keep at it. Maybe, maybe don't spend hours every single day trying to learn it. Maybe spend a few hours every day. Try some practical solutions instead of just reading a book. I think we spoke about this in a few past podcast. Um, instead of just reading a book or watching a video, yeah, actually picking, picking build a, a photo, website. Photoshop and uh, photo, what is it? Photoshop Classroom and a book or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, yeah. So what you're saying, yeah, instead it's, of just. It's real world learning and it's not just, you know, you're reading a bunch of text on a, on a page. You're reading something and you're actually doing it. And mm -hmm. it, it really helps quite a bit when yeah. you're actually trying to learn something, but definitely don't give up. Um, spend a little bit less time on it, but keep moving forward because you will get better very slowly. Yeah. Progress, at least in the beginning. And I would say for most design, progress is more important than perfection because you can always reiterate uh, so you create the first version of something. Maybe it's not perfect, but you've created something. Remember, usually the difficulty is in starting. So create something, just like when you're writing, write that first rough draft, get it out there, and then go back and refine, 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 and then you have a presentable, beautiful product. So just get, you know, get layers in the Photoshop document, get vector shapes into the document, right? Get some paths laid down um, and... You know, you, you just never know what will come of it. And then iterate, iterate, iterate. You know, revise, revise, revise. Yep. So moving on to our, what is this, our seventh? This is the seventh. Eighth? Hang on a second. Seventh. Hang on a second. I need to pause. Somebody's knocking on my door. Give me a yep. second. Oh, yeah. Niece and nephew coming up, knocking on my door. They live right next door. Oh, So okay. they'll come over. They were coming over and asking me if I could take them out and play, first play baseball with them mm. and uh, then stop at Rita's for some water ice. <laughs> so anyway, where were we? All right. So moving on to our seventh point and that the eighth point, eighth, eighth point. point, we're on number eight. Ooh, we're, we're on, on number eight. eight. And that is all about your contracts. And this is reading and writing contracts. It is so important to spend some time with contracts because it will save your butt so hard in the future. Let's start with writing contracts. If you are doing work for a client and you set a price point, let's say $500 for a logo, and you're going to do 10 hours of work for that $500, write that in your contract. It doesn't have to be this massive 50-page legal document. It could even be one sheet that says, I will provide, I, Howard Pinsky, will provide you with a logo for John's Pizzeria. I will spend 10 hours working on this logo and you will pay me $500 upon completion. And maybe even this will also include five additional revisions or small revisions if you have if you have any blah, 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 blah. And make sure you sign it. Make sure John's Pizzeria signs it because that will avoid situations where he comes back or a client comes back with 17 revisions and then he makes you completely redo it. And then he yep. says, well, we didn't, there wasn't no contract. You just said you would design a logo for me for $500 or $50 or whatever it might be. So you're going to keep designing it until I'm happy with it. And you can speak more towards this, Nathaniel, but this also saves relationships, not necessarily like with significant others, but friends as well. I know before the show you were talking to me about this, but before we get to that, 
make sure you also read your contracts, not the mm -hmm. ones you've necessarily written, but if you are paying somebody for something or you're signing up for a service, and I'm not talking about like iTunes ter terms of service, don't bother reading that. But if you're signing up for something or whatever it might be, read your contract very thoroughly. I work for a, a YouTube network. I work for full screen and I can't tell you how many times people sign up for full screen, they accept everything, they sign the contract, and then several months later, they send support tickets to, you know, whether it's through Twitter or through uh, the, our support email, and they have no idea what was in that contract, and they're very upset that they're locked into a two-year contract that we're taking X amount of revenue from them, and all of this would have been avoided if they just read the contract and understood the contract. And if you're ever handed a contract that you don't completely understand, find somebody who does, whether it be a family member or whether it be a lawyer or just someone in law graduate school, whatever you call it, they'll be able to understand it and they'll be able to tell you exactly what it means. And if you still don't understand it or if you don't agree with it, send it back before you sign it and ask for revisions. Ask for simpler language because a lot of times there's so much language in these contracts that they put in there just to confuse you so they can come back later and say, oh no, well, in section 27 of this contract, it says durka durka durka. You have no idea what that means. So ask them to clarify that in plain English because there's no really no reason. Especially if the contract literally says Durka Durka. <laughs> right. There's literally no reason why it has to have all this confusing language. It, you can very easily say, I will do X, Y, and Z, and that will be more than enough in some cases. Right, yeah, and just remember, like a contract is the written agreement that two sides are coming to. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to have a say in this as well. Um, you know, so, so uh, uh, when it comes time for you to give a client a contract, don't feel bad about it because it's just, you know, a written, you know, agreement. This is what we've agreed to do this. Not only is it, a, it don't, don't think of it uh, so much as you being protected and you getting your money, but you know, let your client know this is to assure that when you give me money, I'm going to deliver work to you, you know, and the more you can sort of think about it in terms of protecting your clients, even more than protecting you, the easier it's going to become to think about contracts in and of themselves. Um, and yeah, when it comes to reading the contract, the same thing, yeah, don't be afraid to send back the contract and say, hey, can we revise this line? Or I, I agree with everything in the contract except this. Um, is there any way we can negotiate that or change something about that? So what's the worst I can say? No, you're, you know, you're going to be willing to sign the contract that way anyway. So just give it a shot. Um, and see what they say. But yeah, um, what you were saying about preserving relationships. Uh, recently, I had two different clients who I was not as specific as I should have been on my contracts. The first section of my contracts outlines the scope of work, what is to be done. Um, and these two people were friends of a close friend of mine. And I, I just sort of, you know, all right, here's what we're going to do. Boom, 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 boom. I outlined. I was still... I thought fairly detailed. I mean, I think I broke it down to like 10 different sections, but for a full web design project, it wasn't as detailed as maybe I normally would be. Um, so what ended up happening was as, as time came for them to continue paying or make the payments, um, you know, cause usually I'll take between 20 and 50% up front if the job is over $1,500. So if it's under $1,500, they take a hundred percent up front. It, there's not really any exceptions. Um, so, 
when it came time to pay, they started, well, you know, how many hours did it take you to do that? You know, are you, is it, I would never charge that much. You know, I don't know if it was really worth that. And, you know, I, my argument was it doesn't really matter at this point. You signed a contract. Uh, but it really turned out the issue was they didn't understand the, the level of work I was doing, the amount of work I was doing, um, because I just didn't outline it all in the contract. So just having something as simple as an outline of here's what I'm doing for you, here's what you can expect from me. I mean, if you're if you're designing a logo from for somebody like you said Howard 17 revisions later you're still working on it. If you just wrote a contract and said, "Look, I designed the logo, you're going to have two different design options, and once we settle on a design option, um, then you have, you know, three revisions or two revisions maybe, and it's going to cost you $350 or whatever you're going to charge, $500." If your client knows that, when when they come back for you know the eighth revision, it, it should never even get to that point because number one, a lot of clients are going to say, okay, we agreed on three revisions, and you as the designer should make that clear. Don't just try to you know slip that into the contract. Be vocal about it and just say, look, you're going to get two design options with three revisions. And you know that way they you you know where you stand before they give you money they know what they're buying they're not going to feel hoodwinked they're not going to feel like you're charging them for one thing and then giving them something else um, and as a result if people can't work with the terms that you know you need they're just not going to hire you and it's just I know the money's nice but it's easier to work with people who actually enjoy working with you and know what they're getting and aren't calling you every day, you know, asking what's going on, you know, why am I not seeing any additional revisions or why am I not getting anything? Um, you know, didn't I pay you X number of dollars? That's a huge amount of money. Well, no, here's the contract. This is what we agreed on. And it's a, and, and 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 not only can sometimes writing contracts can be uncomfortable, um, but if you accept cash of any sort, um, you know, a lot of these photo shoots I'll go out onto are little headshots things where it's, you know, $280 for a headshot, you know, and, and if it's a college student, they'll just have the cash. And one of the things that I always make sure I do, and, and I never used to do it, I've only started doing this in the last probably two years, is I'll count the money right there in front of them, mm -hmm. you know, which sometimes seems like kind of like a douchey thing to do because it's like, well, let me see if you've given me all of my shekels before I proceed with the work. Um, but the reason that I do it is because I heard a story from a fellow photographer where somebody paid him in cash and then came back and said, hey, photographer, I actually overpaid you by X number of dollars and you didn't count the money. I was standing there with you. You didn't count the money. So what I usually and, – and, and you know what are you supposed to do? You know, or you can obviously there's going to be a fight that's going to ensue. But how do you prove anything? I know legally the person probably has no leg to stand on. But the fact of the matter is, your relationship then with that person or that client is going to be dead because somebody's either lying or trying to get money out of you, or you know, or you're going to give them a few hundred dollars back to preserve this relationship. Either way, somebody's not going to be happy. So what I'll do is I'll count the money right there in front of them and just explain to them and tell them that exact story that I just told. You know, and say, look, this is not only to make sure you haven't overpaid me, but also that you know I you know you know that I'm taking the money and I'll also know that I'm not taking additional money from you that you didn't need to pay me for the job and it's totally cool every time I've never had an issue with anybody uh, complaining about it you know at first it seems kind of like pretentious but you know it gets to the point where you're just like you know what it's just part of the it's part of what I do um, and it, it gets it gets easier so yeah I mean don't underestimate the power of writing a contract if for nothing else just to say you know, me, Nathaniel Dodson, I agree to design your logo with three rounds of revisions coming from two initial designs for $500. And the client can look at it and say, all right, that seems fair. Boom, I'll sign off on it. I sign off on it after the client signs off on it. And then we have an agreement.
Yeah, and one last thing to add, because I've run into this situation before, emails between two people are not Mm -hmm. contracts. Even though it's a discussion between two people who may come to an agreement, emails, first of all, are all over the place. There's threads all over, and they could be easily deleted, and they're not signed. So if you take emails to a court, I mean, some judges may take them into consideration if the emails Mm -hmm. from both sides are the same. But if one person deletes an email, these things can be very easily fabricated. So make sure even though there's a an agreement within an email, send a contract with the summary of those emails. And you can even quote the emails if you have to, but make sure it's signed by both people and, you ha- and both people have copies of it. Even right. print them out if you have to, because digital files can go missing very easily. Right. Yeah. No, agree 100%. All right, so moving on from contracts to something much less papery and boring, uh, clean up your workspace. Uh, even if this is just I, – I, just to give a quick example, my father who he's, – he's one of these kind of people who he can't throw anything out, nothing. I mean nothing. I, I just bought this new monitor, right? We had talked about these new Samsung UHD uh-huh. uh, 4K monitors, and I had an old 28-inch monitor. Um, that I was going to get rid of, and I asked my mother-in-law if she needed it. She just got a new one from work. She didn't need it, blah, 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 blah. So I brought it over to my parents' house, and my dad's old monitor, the colors are just shot, and it's it's a piece of junk. Um, so I was like, all right, Pop, you know, I'll give you my, you know, I'll give you my monitor. So I go up to his office to set it up, and no kidding, he has, he has at least four inches of paper stacked up all across his desk, just, just to the level where he can see his monitor peeking mm. out of the papers. It's just a cluttered mess. Books stacked everywhere, pens, papers, you know, headache medicine, CDs all over the place. It's a stinking mess. Um, so cleaning up your workspace, I mean, just here again, Google inspiration for a nice clean workspace. There's plenty of people who post photos of beautiful workspaces and just, you know, sometimes having a nice big desk that you can write on with your tablet, with your computer, with your monitor sitting there, maybe a nice set of speakers, and that's it. Just having a clean workspace where nothing's distracting you. Um, or even doing something like going out, you just, you know, you also just got a new monitor, Howard, right? And a few months ago, you got the Mac pro, um, you know, sometimes making purchases like that. I know from my standpoint, photographically buying a new camera can be extremely inspiring because you just want to get out there and use it to shoot. And what happens when you get out there and shoot, you run into new ideas, you run into new techniques, you realize, oh man, I could have been doing this this whole time. That's pretty cool. Or what if I did that? Oh, that's pretty sweet. Um, so sometimes buying a new piece of gear, um, can also spark and help to make you a better designer. Of course, if you capitalize on that spark. Um, so if you're going to end up cleaning up your workspace and and buying new equipment, use it to like jumpstart yourself. You know, um, and yeah, I mean that's 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 pretty much it. A, a good clean workspace uh, is is good. Yeah, I completely agree. Sometimes my desk gets a little bit cluttered and it just drives me crazy. I have to clean it once in a while. I mean, right now there's a bunch of envelopes here with a bunch of bills that I have to pay, but once those do get paid, I'll probably file them somewhere. But back to purchasing things, like like you mentioned, I just bought the new monitor, the 4K monitor and the Mac Pro a few months ago, or maybe it was last year. And at the time I, I, I was discussing do I really need this Mac Pro? The answer was no. I wanted it, and I had I have friends that work at Apple, so I got a bit of a discount. Um, but it's really pushed me to push the limits of what I can do. My tutorials now, 
they're all shot in 4K, which is thanks to the new monitor that I'm getting. And a lot of people are enjoying that because they're getting 4K well, monitors. And, and and the fact that the Mac Pro can output a 4K signal because you're right. just standard la di da di da graphics card. It doesn't matter if you have a 4K monitor. Some of, You can't upsize that resolution big enough to take full advantage of a 4K monitor. Right. And what I'm also doing in my tutorials is I'm doing intros and outros, and those are all shot on green screens. And my previous computer just would not have been able to run Final Cut Pro or After Effects well enough to get these things done. So it's opening up so many doors for me and it's improving my production quality, which previously I didn't think it, would, it could get that much more improved. But now I have these great looking intros and outros. I have 4K resolution on my tutorials. People are loving it. And just these, I mean, another pur purchase that I did a few years ago, I bought the Wacom Cintiq, which another thing, I definitely don't need it. I wanted it and I needed a tax write-off. So I bought the Cintiq and I don't use it very often for drawing, but I have, I definitely, especially when I first got it, I drew like crazy. I did digital paintings and I really started to improve my skills. And mm -hmm. Even though I'm not a great drawer or a great painter, it's something that eventually might turn into something more. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's, that's I can't really add anything to that. It's uh, you know, it goes back to the whole you know buying a new camera uh, kind of thing. And and well, I guess just a quick side note: when you have the gear and the tech available to you to do the great high quality work, you're going to attract a certain level of client as well. Yep. You know, if you look professional, people probably hire you because, you know, that whole perception is reality nonsense. Um, and people buy into, well, this guy looks like he's professional. He's got some good looking stuff here. So, you know, boom, we're going to sign the contract with him. Of course, if you have a contract. Yeah. So moving on to our final point, point number 10. This is our one more thing. Or is this point number 11? Is this our one more thing? No, this, this is point number 10. This is 10. This is our one more thing. Yeah. Don't be the complaining, crying designer. Woe is not you. There are millions upon millions of people who are designing, who are struggling every single day. I always tell people, well, I try not to tell people, but if they get on my nerves, I tell them, shut up and do your work. You're earning a yeah. living, hopefully. You're making money, hopefully. And... There's, there are people struggling a lot worse than you to get the job done. If you're not happy with your situation, don't, don't cry about it. Don't go to Twitter and complain that your life is terrible because no one's hiring you for your contracting work or your design work. Maybe make a change or figure out what isn't working. Maybe you're not marketing yourself properly. Maybe you're not putting yourself out there. Maybe you're focusing too much on online work. Maybe you're not walking outside and going to a pizzeria and seeing if they need logos. But complaining is just going to make you look like a child. And I've, I've kind of been guilty about this. I've complained on Twitter a lot because that's what Twitter is for. And I've had people tell me straight up, you're acting like a child. Stop complaining. I'm going to stop <laughs> watching your videos. And it's so true. You don't really think of these things when you start complaining. But the more you complain, the, the fewer people are going to want to work with you. Right, and it's very easy to complain when you – it's one thing to complain when you're a teenager, you know, and I don't mean to be like all like, you know, mom and dad kind of preachy. But when you have real-life bills to pay and something happens um, and the pressure is kind of ratcheted up, you know, it becomes a lot easier to complain. So as designers, as the great John F. Kennedy once said – Ask not what the design community can do for you, 
but ask what you can do for the design community. He said that word wait, for word. That that wasn't that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't quite what he said. But the same principle does apply, right? Mm-hmm. Because instead of wallowing and and crying yourself to sleep, you know, get up on your feet, make yourself better, do something great. Maybe people aren't hiring you because you stink at what you do. Maybe that's why people aren't hiring you. Maybe your work just isn't as good as you think it is. Because I know mine wasn't. Mine still isn't in a lot of ways. I just somehow get people to hire me every now and again. Uh, But you know what I mean? And I think being able to look at yourself honestly and just say, look, I can get better. And not only can I get better, I'm going to get better because I want to get better. And I'm not going to give up. You know that, uh, what was it we talked about before? Um, Don't give up if anything is too hard. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Have some grit. Have some determination. Become a mentally strong person. You know, and this goes to the point also of stepping outside and doing something you'd never do before. That kind of stuff strengthens you as a person from a very like inner level. Become a stronger person. Become somebody who has grit and determination and fortitude and do good work. If your work stinks, nobody's going to hire you. But we all stunk at one point. Ansel Adams was a terrible photographer at one point. Uh, Johnny Ives, I'm sure, was a horrific designer at one point. Um, uh, Franklin Lloyd Wright was probably an abysmal architect at a certain point, you know, even if it was just when he was in the cradle. Hey, little Frankie, draw me a skyscraper. And he wouldn't even know what a pencil was. So we all stink at a certain point. We're all awful designers, awful photographers, awful writers, awful video editors, awful cinematographers, awful everythings. But those of us who become great not only do we get out of that zone but when you become great when you're the top 10 percent top five ten percent of your craft there's always work for you there no matter how bad the economy ever gets no matter how bad things get when you are actually good at what you do people will find you and people will hire you because the little secret is most people out there are faking it and making it So if you're actually able to deliver, if you actually are good at what you do, you would be surprised at how many job opportunities there really are. You know, where does Pixar get their animators from? They get the best of the best. Why can't you be the next great animator? Why can't you be the next great 3D modeler for Pixar? It's not rocket scientist. You're not curing cancer. You're animating, you know, the dude from up. You're making balloons float, right? You're making Ratatouille run down a street in Paris for crying out loud. That, you know, become a great animator, become a great 3D modeler, you know, stop complaining about it. Stop saying your clients don't want to pay you. Maybe they don't want to pay you because your work is garbage. Maybe they don't want to pay you because you didn't write a contract and they don't know what you, <laughs> they, they don't know what they're supposed to get or what they're supposed to pay. You know, there's so many things that it can go back to other than just dumping on the client. And don't get me wrong. There are plenty of unreasonable clients. Um, and it's fun to get together as designers and laugh about them. But it's it's a lot easier to get together and laugh about that kind of situation when you know that it's coming from a designer who's not spending all of his days complaining about, you know, work and I'm not getting paid what I should be getting. I'm not getting any clients I should be getting. You know, because it comes to a certain point where it's like, just shut up and do work. Just, you know, make yourself better. You stink, you know. Your work is garbage. That's why your clients hate you. That's why your clients hate your work. So, you know, better yourself. Do good work. There's, I, I feel like there's no substitute to doing good work and doing good work consistently. If you're consistently good, that's when you're great. Being consistently good is great. Period. Yep. That, that, that would do it. I like that answer. So that will just about wrap up our 10 tips to become becoming a better designer. If you guys have additional tips, 
shoot us a tweet or an email or a Facebook mm-hmm. post. I am at Iceflow Studios. Nathaniel is at Tutvid on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we're both on Facebook. We're both on, we have websites and things and like that. We have yeah, places search to Iceflow email. Studios or search Tutvid. You'll find we're all pages. over the place. So send us your tips as well if we missed anything or if you disagree with us, definitely let us know. Give us constructive criticism. We can definitely take it. Yeah, and, and share stories. Share stories. What's something interesting you did? What's what's some way that you stepped outside of your comfort zone? Even if it's, I uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't even think of it. I ate two donuts instead of one, right? I tried Dunkin' Donuts instead of Tim Hortons for the Canadians amongst us. Mm. Um, how did you step outside of your comfort zone? And what are some interesting stories? And, and what did it do to you? You know, was it, you know, was it somebody getting really sick in your family um, that, that caused you to have a total shift in uh, perspective of life? Uh, was it having a child that totally changed the way you think about everything? Was it just a good, hard sit down talk with, you know, a great professor at school? Uh, or was it your first job at a time from having a boss who is a complete jerk, but in hindsight ended up teaching you a lot of things? What is it? Share stories. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to hear um, what you have to say. And again, you can share the stories also on Twitter. Use the hashtag WeGeeks uh, if you don't want to tweet directly at us. And we'll pick all that stuff up and we'll see it. Um, and it'll, yeah, it'll be great to see and interact with you guys. Yeah, and make sure to use that WeGeeks hashtag on Twitter to also ask questions. Because every episode, except this one, this is an exception, we do take questions at the end. And every single episode, we give away a $25 gift card to the best question or one of the questions that we think really stands out. And let us know what you think of this format. I think I, I think it's a really beneficial thing that we're doing, this, this top 10 list or these very specific topics aside from the tech news that we're going to do probably next week. Uh, let us know what you think and make sure to follow us on all the social networks. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes. We will be reading reviews next week as well. SoundCloud, Stitcher, if people use Stitcher and uh, Patreon. Uh, Valdis, let me go ahead and find Valdis. We do have a still a $25 patron over at patreon.com slash we geeks and that's Valdis. You can find him and his artwork. He actually makes some pretty cool stuff. Camis, K A M I S 1232.deviantart.com. And if you love our podcast, head over to Patreon, throw us a dollar or two. We'll be happy. Yeah, there was there was a pretty cool like little metal coaster or something that he mm-hmm. made with the We Geeks logo in it. That was pretty cool. That was um, But yeah, I guess that'll just about wrap it up. Howard, I hope you have a safe flight out to LA and good times with the folks at the office. Um, yep. And of course, then a safe flight home uh, to Colorado. And uh, sure until, so. until next time, guys, we will see you later. See you later.